Welcome to Er Garcia, a podcast of work, faith, theology, and economics, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. And welcome to Ergasia. My name is Brendan Byrne, and I have the pleasure of being your host. Well, I know I said I would try and avoid having as large a gap between episodes as I did between episodes 21 and 22, but that was before the whole COVID-19 business overturned everything all over the world. And I know what you're thinking, surely the lockdown should have given you more time to prepare episodes and crank them out with monotonous regularity. But here's the thing, I've discovered that being a minister and keeping in contact with my congregation and facilitating some form of communal worship as well as engaging in pastoral care, while all these things are even more time-consuming when done remotely than they were before. And so, like everyone else, I've been adjusting to the new order of things and have finally had some time to get this new episode together. But anyway, enough of that. In this episode, we continue our exploration of the book Hard Work Never Killed Anyone, How the Idolization of Work Sustains This Deadly Lie by John Bottomley, published by Morningstar Publishing in 2015. In the last episode... We examined Bottomley's analysis of how the idolatry of hard work silences grief in the wake of work-related harm, and how the victims of that harm are robbed of their agency not just by the traumatic event itself, but by the underlying assumptions that govern modernity's responses to trauma. We also examined the way in which Bottomley's own experience of ministry in this field helped him to uncover the mechanisms of silencing and how a response enabling new possibilities in life might be forthcoming. In today's episode, we will look at the underlying principles that often govern the church's approach to pastoral care, and how the often congregation-centric assumptions underlying these principles blind the church to the fact that it is called not just to dispense hospitality, but to receive hospitality at the hands of others, most notably in the form of trust, an often unrecognised category of agency exercised by those who grieve. This in turn is also a species of formation by which the church is shaped to participate in the prophetic ministry of God's governance in the world of work. So without further ado, let us now begin Ergasia episode 23, Hard Work Never Killed Anyone, part 5, The Death and Transformation of the Theologies of Hospitality and Pastoral Care. (laughs) 
during the course of his congregational ministry, Bottomley noted how the church's understanding of hospitality emphasised the welcoming of newcomers. Often this emphasis was grounded in Jesus as an exemplar of one who welcomed society's outcasts, thus framing hospitality as the provision of care to those in need of relationship. But while this emphasis also acknowledged that, by welcoming the stranger, the church as host could also become guest to the presence of Christ that came through encounter with others, the assumptions underlying it also presumed that hospitality began primarily with the church as a function of its outreach ministry to others. For bottomly, this emphasis and its underlying assumptions failed to take sufficient count of the difference between the privilege of being called by Christ into ministry and the privileges afforded by being relatively well-educated employees of reasonably affluent middle-class churches. This lack of awareness thus blinded those operating under the church's prevailing hospitality paradigm to the limits which their status imposed upon their own practice of hospitality and pastoral care. This was reflected in Bottomley's own experience when he first sought to provide pastoral care to the victims of work-related harm. The support group he and his colleagues initially established replicated the church's assumptions about welcoming those in need. In this framework, the support group was the centre of power from which welcome and caring to participants was dispensed. However, this hospitality was dependent upon the maintenance of the group's founding identity and power relationships whenever new members entered the group. But with the collapse of this initial support group-based program and the switch to individual care based on home visits, Bottomley and his colleagues realised the importance of understanding the individual yearnings that underlay grief and thereby the necessity of establishing a relationship of trust with the bereaved. This experience highlighted for Bottomley the reality that the church's assumptions about hospitality and pastoral care failed to take account of what the person being cared for brings to the relationship, instead categorising them as needy or suffering, even when it is recognised that they might represent Christ to the church. However, in the yearning for healing, justice and reconciliation underlying the grief of those bereaved by work-related death, there lies a profound depth of human agency. This agency occurs in the act of a deeply distressed person reaching out to an unknown person or organisation for help. It is the agency of a hurt and isolated individual who opens their front door and allows the grief support worker into their home. This is the agency of risk-taking by people who have often experienced betrayal by people and organisations they believed they could trust. It was this insight into the agency exercised by the bereaved that led Bottomley to the conclusion that, without it, the church would have no authentic ministry of hospitality or pastoral care. In other words, the agency of those who reach out is prior to the hospitality and pastoral care 
provided by the church in its outreach. It is this agency which, in the scriptural witness, reminds God of God's promise of fullness of life and which stirs God to compassionate action. However, in its captivity to societal and cultural assumptions about the exercise of power and hospitality, the church often fails to realize that pastoral care is not a function of the church's social power to provide outreach to others, but instead arises from the empowering agency of the suffering and the oppressed to cry out against injustice, which in turn comes to them through God's active love for the world. In an exercise of radical trust that springs from their deep yearning for the renewal of life, those suffering from work-related harm are able to reach out to others despite the risky vulnerability which doing so involves. This experience and the insights it generated moved Bottomley and his colleagues to develop a healing model that sought openness to the power of being reached out to and being touched by those suffering from work-related bereavement. In doing so, they were responding to God's calling on their lives to enact God's ministry in the world of work. This calling began for Bottomley many years previously when he was commissioned to undertake a study of Methodist ministers who had left congregational ministry for full-time employment. The ministers were all asked whether they saw their present employment as part of their ministry. As it turned out, they all did, and framed that understanding in theological terms strongly grounded in the church's understanding of congregational ministry. As Bottomley reflected with the study participants on this result, many shared their grief and bitterness at the lack of affirmation and even open hostility which they had received from the institutional church. Their unmet need for affirmation had left them paralysed in their congregationally-based understanding of ministry, always looking to the institutional church with a kind of despairing hopelessness for the blessing of their faithfulness in responding to God's call to serve in the world of work. For Bottomley, this blindness by the church to work as a ministry field was replicated many years later, when the Victorian Tasmanian Synod of the Uniting Church issued a governance manual that made no reference to God's hospitality as a framework for forming the church to enact God's ministry of governance in the world of work. For Bottomley, this blindness by the church to work as a ministry field was replicated many years later when the Victorian Tasmanian Synod of the Uniting Church issued a governance manual that made no reference to God's hospitality as a framework for forming the church to enact God's ministry of governance in the world of work. The multidisciplinary, holistic model of companioning pastoral care which Bottomley and his colleagues had developed did not square with the manual's mandating of the separation of the organisational life of the church agency for which Bottomley worked from the governance of God in the world that lay at the heart of that agency's ministry. 
For Bottomley, this separation reinforced the identity of church agencies as primarily secular institutions accountable to secular standards of risk management. At the same time, accountability for those agencies' missional activity was located in the designated council of the church within the wider church polity. This had the effect of stripping church agencies of any accountability for their vocation and mission, placing it instead with church councils external to those agencies' own management committees. This institutionalised the separation of those agencies' corporate existence from the life of faith embedded in their missional activity. Bottomley argues that what the governance manual issued by the Synod did was reinforce the separation of the life of faith from the world of work, thereby strengthening a fundamental tenet of modernity, namely the marginal nature of any belief in God's intentions for the world as expressed in the public life of the church's agencies. By contrast, the companioning pastoral care model developed by Bottomley and his colleagues operated on the premise that it is God's hospitality which equips the church and its agencies to operate in the world. For Bottomley, the implicit message within the Synod's governance manual that God's governance is marginal to the challenges of corporate life undermined the task of offering holistic pastoral care to people bereaved by work-related deaths. The problems and issues which Bottomley detected within the church's approach to governance and the blindness to the world of work which it articulated were present also in the church's typically expressed understanding of pastoral care. This understanding was often characterised as the care which pastors provide to the members of their congregations. For Bottomley and his colleagues, however, pastoral care went beyond the role of ministers or people with theological training or expertise in the social sciences. This was exemplified in the experience of the person employed to be the coordinator of the grief support program Bottomley and his colleagues established, who started in the role without either formal grief counselling qualifications or theological training. Rather, based on her own experience of bereavement as a consequence of her son's work-related death, the coordinator came to the role with what Bottomley describes as a hard-won wisdom into the experience of the bereaved that enabled her to listen to those weighed down by grief. This provided the coordinator with a depth of understanding and empathy that in turn enabled her to companion her clients on the journey towards healing. And while the coordinator did in time pursue formal grief counselling qualifications as part of her professional development, Bottomley argues that, in the larger horizon of God's governance, her experience is a sign of God's Spirit equipping the Church for God's healing and reconciling mission in the world of work. This in turn enabled Bottomley and his colleagues to remain faithful to God's calling on their lives, inasmuch as the coordinator's experience demonstrated a form of empathetic care not limited by the definitions typically articulated 
by church-based practitioners. Their clients received not pastoral care or counselling, but support for grief arising from a work-related death. The net result for Bottomley was a fundamental affirmation of prophetic ministry. This springs from a faith in a God who is free to love those whom our society casts aside, and who is likewise free from the definitions of goodness applied by church and state. This offered Bottomley and his colleagues the freedom to be true to their self-understanding of their vocation, while enabling their clients the freedom to be true to their self-understanding of their needs and yearnings. From this recognition of freedom emerged two key narratives. Firstly, healing from the pain of grief is the work of God's spirit of love, which is not limited or defeated by death, but which has the capacity to join the living and the dead in spirited communion. And secondly, God's spirit of love is embodied in the fleshly reality of human lives and therefore desires to be integrated into human life as a transformational agent for a just and peaceful world. From the Christian perspective, love is always the gift of the other being neither merited nor deserved, but instead freely given. It is the freedom involved in this gift-giving that is the source of healing from trauma and grief, because the gift itself is love's power to absorb the pain and horror of death and transform it. The work of justice and healing in the world of work is purposed through the gift of loving, supporting relationships, the source of which has its wellsprings in the love of the Creator for all creation. But this understanding of the operation of God's spirit of love in the world of work challenges the notion of theology as rational, objective, and as value-free as any scientific discipline. Indeed, in Bottomley's experience, the more theology attempts to accommodate the ideology of modernity, the more it addresses itself to the private realm of people's lives, mirroring the ideological separation of the life of faith from the world of work. But the experience of Bottomley and his colleagues with the companioning pastoral care model showed them that pastoral care could not be contained within the confines of private grief or psychological explanation. Rather, the theological commitment to public truth-telling embodied within prophetic ministry did honour to the political, economic, and social dimensions of a bereaved person's experience of injustice and suffering. Thus, the multidisciplinary approach embedded within the companioning pastoral care model takes the diverging perspectives of theology and the social sciences to develop insights into the experiences of people bereaved and workplaces traumatised by work-related death. For example, this approach has enabled Bottomley and his colleagues to gather and analyse data about the factors in work-related suicide, as well as develop models for restorative justice for families bereaved by work-related deaths. They have also been able to use creative media, such as drama, to produce plays that bring clients' stories to the attention of the wider public.
This approach eschews enshrining psychology as the only legitimate dialogue partner with faith in the pastoral care of those wounded by harm and injustice at work. The approach developed by Bottomley and his colleagues seeks to ensure that personal experience and knowledge of trauma, grief and death is present alongside insights from the social sciences and the theological commitment to public truth-telling in the pastoral relationship. This relationship is framed by a wider relationship founded on God's spirit of trust, grace and friendship, which in turn gives priority to God's voice of justice in the face of the violent and destructive spirits of work-related harm and death. The liberation which people bereaved by workplace death have experienced through the companioning care model and its foundation in God's redeeming love, likewise provided bottomly with the freedom to let go of previously cherished theological convictions about pastoral care that were also central to his self-understanding as a minister. No longer confined by the theological speech inherited through his formation as a congregational minister, Bottomley felt God's spirit of grace liberating him to be faithful to his call to attend to God's mission in the world of work. And that's where we leave this episode of Ergasia. In our next episode, having traced the psychological, emotional and spiritual dimensions of injustice experienced by those who are bereaved by a workplace death, we will follow Bottomley as he examines the material dimensions of this injustice and the implications which arise from it. In the meantime, to leave your thoughts about this podcast, or to offer any suggestions or ideas for future subjects, please go to the webpage at www.ergasia.podbean.com or go to the podcast pages on Facebook and Twitter. I hope to have the pleasure of your company for the next episode. I am your host, Brendan Byrne. Goodbye for now. have been listening to Ergasia, a podcast of faith, work, theology and economics arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. For more information, please go to www.ergasia.podbean.com.